From McKinsey's Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. In the past few months, many companies have had to rapidly adjust to new business conditions and shifting customer behaviors, creating a need to rapidly establish new and often digital businesses. But doing this quickly and effectively amid economic uncertainty can present many challenges. In today's episode, we will hear from two McKinsey experts and an executive who will all take us through how to rise to this challenge. Akash Kumar is an associate partner in our New York office and focuses on digital, analytics, and business building. Ari Liberikian is a senior partner also based in New York and the global leader of Leap, our business building practice. Ari is also a leader in our digital and analytics work in the insurance sector. We're also pleased to be joined by Wendy Barnes, who's the president of the home delivery pharmacy for Express Scripts. She will share her recent experience launching a new digital initiative. Welcome, everyone. Ari, can you start us off by explaining how the conditions for building a new business have changed, especially over the last few months? Um, this this topic of business building was a pretty hot and popular one even before the crisis. But certainly now in the world we're in today, the uh, degree of focus on business building and generating new ideas and turning them into businesses and scaling has gone up by a huge factor. Business building is not a choice uh, for corporates and for incumbents. It's, it's, it's It's a necessity. And it's a differentiating capability that's becoming a part of long-term success. It's not what it used to be, which is an experiment and an innovation off to the side. You know, let's see what happens. It's a requirement for success. Today, in a crisis world, we're we're seeing, given consumer behaviors are changing, uh, corporate clients of many and many industries are changing behaviors. Business building is almost a requirement to meet these new sets of needs and to meet them at a pace that maybe wouldn't be possible if a company were focused on transforming the core. So this crisis is creating a bunch of new questions and challenges for us all. The first is, how do you create the right type of interactions and touch points with customers you're never going to meet, right? And that is definitely true today in this world where a lot of people are at home in a lot of states, a lot of countries. But we think that's going to remain true coming out of the crisis. Two is what do you do with physical devices that you're applying maintenance to and trying to repair that you can never physically get a hold of? Three is how do you find from an HR and an organizational perspective your next star employee around the world, whether it's in your industry or whether it's recruiting outside of your industry? And then the fourth is resilience, right? If if this crisis has taught us anything, it's Resilience is really important in anything that you build. How do you build resilience into your supply chain in a way that's feasible and practical and doesn't sacrifice agility? So these are questions that are now, you know, questions that were really hard to confront just a few months ago are now critical questions in the journey of many companies. You know, some assumptions that we've long held are being challenged and being turned kind of upside down. Speed, right? I've had so many clients in the last few weeks say, say some version of, we had five years to execute a roadmap. We had three years to do this digital transformation. We had two and a half years to build this thing. Now we have to do it in months or weeks or sometimes days. And it's not a matter of choice. We are required to because that's where our customers go. How do we do it? 
and there's a bunch of assumptions in terms of how we operate our business, how we sell products, how we service customers that have been dramatically reshaped given the world we're in. So large companies aren't used to moving this fast. How do they need to adapt? The problem is building businesses is really hard, especially for large corporates. Management teams of large corporates are very good at managing large corporates. That's why they're in that job. Building new businesses requires an entrepreneurial mindset, a different way of working, and those things are hard to do. So some of our basic research shows that it's hard to launch and scale new businesses successfully, even though a lot of companies are doing it. How do you get away from the bureaucracy that often exists in large corporates uh, and build a new culture that has a higher metabolic rate? How do you hire different types of people, which will be needed at least to form part of the new organization? How do you figure out the quote-unquote unfair advantage, the asset you're going to borrow from the mothership and pull that into the new business, but not pull too much in where you slow slow down the new business? The nirvana here is leveraging the strength of an incumbent, but also the flexibility and speed of a startup. And if you can get the magic of the two of those things together into a single place, uh, you get into a new business that can successfully leverage its advantages from the incumbent and start to scale. In an executive survey, you had found that roughly two-thirds of companies were involved in venture building over the last five years. Have those numbers gone up further during the crisis? Yeah. So anecdotally, we're seeing that number actually go up because More companies are realizing transforming our core, whether it's legacy architectures or, frankly, legacy human capital organizations, will take too long. And so let's just build something new quickly that can meet the need in a matter of weeks, not years. What will be interesting to watch, Sean, is the success rate and the challenges that companies face and how that evolves. My personal instinct is that the success rate is going to go up, too, because we're in a bit of a sink or swim environment. When you have something that is a luxury, it may not get the same focus and attention as when it's a necessity. I think more of these builds now are a necessity. So given that, how do you balance bringing in existing employees um, into the new business who may be experienced but may be wedded to the status quo against bringing in new talent from outside the organization? Yeah, this is, this is one of the biggest challenges new builds face. And it's also one of the important, most important levers. If you could get this right, everything else will take care of itself almost because with the right team and the right people in the right operating model, you'll solve problems as they come. So look, a couple of rules of thumb. There's no, there's no one answer. Every company will be different. But first off, generally speaking, porting over a large group of people from the, from the core into the new business and having them form basically the new management team is not a good idea because this cultural difference is very real. And what you don't want to do is to have the culture of a larger, mature company be the culture of this startup that needs to just move and operate very differently. So that's one. Having said that, the other end of the spectrum is also not a good place to be, which is a 100% brand new team, because the reality is this is not a standalone startup. You are attached to this incumbent that has its assets and its strengths. It has a strong brand, presumably, customers, distribution network, data, and know-how in the industry. And you want to leverage that strategically into the new business. And so oftentimes we'll see these successful builds have a small number of executives who are capable, 
uh, and know the industry and the business come over, but then they build around them a team that has a healthy mix of kind of older faces with newer faces. And by old and new, I mean tenure with the company. And the newer faces bring in the fresh thinking, some of the new skills, uh, et cetera. You know, we've done some research on this, Sean, and we find that the more successful builds have a higher percentage of kind of externally hired people. But that doesn't mean that you take that to the limit. We also see that they have a healthy share, you know, whether it's 20, 30, 40% of people from the, from the incumbent organization. The other thing I would say is how you measure these people is almost as important as the individual themselves, right? Because you'll often find that, well, you'll always find people tend to change their behavior based on how they're measured. And so you'll, you might find an individual that has a certain way of behaving in the core company because they have certain metrics and expectations on them. When you put them in the new build environment and you measure them totally differently, many of them start to operate differently. And so that's also important is what is the performance management system you put in place around these people and this organization? How do you make sure you're not measuring financial results too early because you're going to clip the wings of this thing? How do you make sure to measure milestones and different things like that so that you unleash the organization? That's also important. Ari, thanks very much. Akash, um, can you take us through the types of businesses that you're seeing emerge out of the crisis? If you look back over the last century, we can see that in moments of crisis, moments of pressure, some of the world's most successful businesses have formed. For example, if you look at the financial crisis, some of the fundamental assumptions of what held true uh, were questioned. Do we need to own houses? Do we need to own cars? And out of that came a variety of opportunities, the gig economy, Uber, Airbnb. And the question now will be, how do incumbents use the crisis as a catalyst to drive forward some innovations and redefine what the new normal is before it defines them? As we start to think through what the new normal can bring, we roughly see six archetypes of business builds across industries that are likely to come to fruition. The first one is the remote services provider. And this is like medical consultations, online education, what people might perceive as the easiest step forward from a business building standpoint. It's accelerating some elements that are already taking place. Before, when a real estate agent might offer an option for a virtual tour, they probably didn't have much, much uptake. And now they're taking the same capability that they already have and really accelerating it. But even moving into things like equipment maintenance, you know, being able to repair you know, a, a part at home in a wash, washing machine, without having to, someone to come to your home physically. There's the collaboration platform. I know everyone's heard of Zoom. As we think about you know, the extension of that, even within certain industries, training platforms, IMs, chats, et cetera. The third piece is the dynamic talent deployer. And this is taking really the gig economy to a new level. We're already seeing creative actions of redeployment, like grocery business, offering short-term work uh, potentially to employees from you know, the airline industry. The fourth one is the resilient and flexible operator. This really has to do with how to take a shocked supply chain um, and be able to build in new data sets, build in new uh, capabilities to be able to not only make it more resilient to these types of shocks and to the recovery, but also be able to flex with demand uh, and needs very rapidly. The fifth one is the idle data utilizer. People have been really looking at how to leverage their data, particularly in a B2C context, for many years. What's happening now is that even in the B2B context, companies are being forced to really 
find ways to turbocharge their operations and their success using data they previously thought were not, was not useful. And the last part is the high-touch digital retailer. How do we create high-touch curated experiences in retail without necessarily having to have a physical element to it? This could be as it relates to food kits, it could be real estate tours, it could be a countless number of other examples. What well, Do you see companies pursuing more than one of these archetypes at once? Yeah, I think it's very common and, and probably will become quite common. Uh, and, and one example is uh, in for healthcare providers. You know, as, as they have, some of them have a lot of stresses from dealing with COVID, other ones have less so. They are exploring remote service provider business building around uh, telehealth. And in, in parallel, they're also thinking about in the ICU, for example, how can they deploy rapid, uh, how can they rapidly deploy talent to be able to bring in and go from, you know, one division of the hospital into the COVID ICU, for example. And then the last piece is, is they think about, you know, essential medicines. You know, they're partnering with, with manufacturers and other entities to be able to figure out how they can really prioritize and make more resilient the supply chain. And so even in healthcare, for example, you can see, you know, three or more different types of archetypes that are becoming very important to their success. So we've talked about what types of businesses companies may want to build. How do you best get started? Akash? As we think about building new businesses, as I already mentioned in the beginning, this is not something that's new. There are some timeless activities that are really important to be able to uh, set up these businesses for success. Top team sponsorship is critical. Dedication of teams not distracted by activities happening in incumbent is absolutely critical. And really thinking about how can we take the reason why we are successful as an incumbent and infuse that competitive advantage into the new business that's being built. Given COVID-19 and all of our remote working uh, needs, processes become critically important. And some people associate process as the you know, opposite of um, being in a startup and being agile, but in many ways, actually very complementary. You know, I've seen uh, business builds that have, you know, 10 different teams that each have their own stand-ups. And it's actually critically important for them to stay very well connected, both within their work stream as well as cross-functionally, to be able to deliver on rapid timeframes and launch products within a matter of days and weeks. I think linked to that is also how do you think about culture and how do you perpetuate culture, not just in your incumbent business, but also within the new business that's being built. So you've really seen that there's a, a simple five-part approach uh, that resonates very well and sets businesses up for success using a tiered approach. We call it the 5B approach, breakout, blueprint, build, boost, branch. And really it's how do you rapidly identify the idea that would really uh, disrupt and drive a lot of value? How do you flesh that out to be able to assemble the plan as well as the team and blueprint? And how do you quickly work cross-functionally in more of an agile fashion to build the actual business? This is not just the product, it's the entire business, including the commercial elements, the operational elements, and so forth. And the last two parts are taking what is the kernel of a business already and really boosting it, scaling it uh, very quickly to where it becomes a, a business of its own. And then thinking through what to do with that business you know, as a business unit, as a separate business to spin off and so forth is what we think about in branch. Wendy, at Express Scripts, you went through this journey of launching a new digital business very quickly. Could you start by giving us some context on what you were trying to accomplish? So uh, Scripts now is actually a part of Cigna. So when we, we uh, brought the two companies together, 
I think one of the things that uh, lent itself perhaps the best to what we did is our relentless focus on the health and well-being um, of the customers we service. That's really um, where this journey started. It was rooted in what we did with Inside RX and the, the pharmacy business. And it was also um, rooted in three very simple principles uh, in that healthcare, to include the prescription coverage, should be uh, affordable, predictable, and simple. And, and the focus in that vertical is really all around um, pharmacy and our ancillary services. And so when we focused on that, thinking about this particular journey, uh, what we wanted to do is figure out how to link really two businesses together with the idea being, let's figure out what we can do beyond the core customers that we service. So we have this very large pharmacy asset as a part of Express Scripts and Cigna. We service um, a big portion um, of the American public who are insured, meaning you had to have coverage through us in order to access our pharmacy. Clearly, we had an asset by which we thought other patients um, could take advantage of. And so for that reason, we weren't positioned to do that. Um, as an insured pharmacy, and uh, that also supported the question we had to ask ourselves, which is, how do we do that? And then the journey began, and it became abundantly clear that digital was where we needed to focus. And being entirely candid, the healthcare industry, particularly age-old insurance, um, was not particularly astute at uh, B2C thinking. Uh, We had a lot of work to do, and that was abundantly clear as we started this journey. How do we do that when you're sitting inside of a huge adjudication engine um, with no marketing, no branding behind it? So the challenge was a large one as we contemplated how best uh, to bring this to life. But there's one thing that we knew in thinking about the pharmacy business, and that was we had a right to win patients outside of our insured book. We just had to figure out a mechanism to compete outside of our normal um, network behaviors. So that's really where the journey began. So you started the digital Inside RX business. How quickly did that happen? Um, Inside RX was conceived of and launched inside of 45 days, specifically focused on both underinsured and uninsured customers. We knew as a large payer that a substantial portion of our patients didn't have broad coverage. And then you had the entire um, other sector of the market that had no coverage. This was why we thought we had a right uh, to to put this company together in such quick and short order. We knew um, what the market was demanding of us. We knew how many customers out there had a need um, to pay cash for their prescriptions. We saw our competitors actively engaged in this space. And so when you look at the number of um, prescriptions out there that are paid with cash and you marry that up with the pharmacy asset we were sitting on, we said, this is is really pretty compelling. We should really put these two things together. Now the question is how, because we aren't positioned to do that. Um, You know, the old paradigm was, I really shouldn't question the price of my prescription. It just is what it is. The new paradigm is, I really deserve to have the best price on a prescription. I should inquire. I should ask a question as to why is the price what it is, and if not, is there another option for me? Enter inside RX. When you look at leveraging your incumbent strength, we had some things in our favor, which despite our uh, perhaps lack of expertise in building D to C, 
what we knew is we had very deep retail pharmacy relationships, and we also know that we had access to roughly a third of the lives in the country who uh, had coverage, which then ties to households where perhaps folks didn't. In less than six months, we were able to take that platform that was inside our act, connect it to our home delivery pharmacy through really three different mechanisms, both the web and then Android and, and iOS apps so that we could fill those prescriptions. How did you develop the business model for InsideRx and how important was it that it be a digital venture? Obviously, you have to start with market insights. It was thinking through who the competitors were in that space. Really, any large retailer has a cash club program. So we had to spend a ton of time delving into market insights and where was the Express Scripts Pharmacy's right to play. Then we had to think through customer insights. So you had to spend time on what was the experience um, with those competitors, how would ours be positioned. Um, Then we, we spent time through the personas and the customer journey. We leaned into the ones that were most important. It was imperative that we had an end goal in mind, not just throwing a product in the market, but what did we really want to get out of this? And what we wanted to get out of it were prescriptions and claims through that Express Scripts pharmacy. We didn't want it to just look nice. We needed to actually drive volume to the pharmacy, which was imperative uh, to prove the worth of um, the investment and what we were doing. So at the end of the day, it really had very little emphasis on the technology journey itself. It was so much more about the work beforehand, the agile teams we put together to talk through the processes. And what was the response of your competitors? There um, is a really competitive demand for these offerings. We were pulling from competitors. It wasn't as if there was a lot of new business to grab. The interesting thing about the cash space is is that because you don't really have a contractual relationship that you're upending, you are going B to C, and ultimately that consumer can make a choice at any any time. They can pull a card out of their wallet. They can, you know, pull up the app and just say, hey, here's the one I want to use. So instead of trying to sell, sell against us, we had a number of the large cash offerings reach out and say two things. One, could we partner with InsideRx? Two, could we add Express Scripts Pharmacy to our network? Would you be willing to participate in um, our cash offering? And we've long held the belief that you don't have to keep it all resident within your four walls. So that brings up an interesting point about the role of partnerships. Given that launching quickly is so important, are joint ventures and alliances a good option for companies to pursue as part of this business building effort? Ari, any thoughts you'd like to share there? Yeah. So uh, a lot of companies find when they build these new businesses that part of the mindset is you're not going to have all the capabilities you need and you're not going to have it all the time. And so many companies decide to establish ecosystems of JVs, partnerships. Sometimes they'll acquire uh, uh, startups uh, to boost capabilities and keep them on the cutting edge of certain things. So the ecosystem in some sense is a, is a, is a way to access talent and capabilities that may not be your core competence. Having said that, it does make things harder from an execution perspective because now you have multiple parties involved. But we find in certain opportunities, especially when you have to go across industries, uh, like we're seeing telecom with retail, with consumer banking, uh, we're seeing healthcare and pharmaceutical, you're seeing some collection of subsectors that 
need to work together to really meet uh, a holistic need of the customer. The only way to tackle that is by establishing an ecosystem as part of your build. And then the question is, how do you de-risk it? Who are the players you partner with? How do you set up the incentives the right way so that everyone's rowing in the same direction? Uh, and there are some pretty exciting success stories here, but it does make it complicated. Thank you, Ari. Um, so, Wendy, what are some of the main lessons you learned from your Inside RX experience that might benefit others who are thinking about or starting to launch digital businesses? Well, one of my really large concerns about this business was, you know, getting the right talent in to start it, to launch it, to do what we needed to do to connect to the home delivery pharmacy. I think it harkens back to how you both pull from core and potentially external, and you have to balance that. And, and we were pretty methodical about taking a few key talented individuals who performed well in the core, but who clearly displayed characteristics of um, being comfortable with innovation, being comfortable with gray, being comfortable with unknown. Um, we needed folks who weren't going to get too stressed out at not having everything laid out for them. So we pulled a few core folks who displayed those characteristics and then wrapped around those people, folks from industry, particularly marketing pieces that really we didn't, we didn't have that talent residence. Um, how do you retain the talent? Um, particularly in an environment where the mothership, so to speak, has a very tried and true um, scorecard, very tried and true bonus plan. Um, and one of my really large concerns about this business was, you know, finding people who just then wanted to go back to the mothership because either, you know, they didn't feel the incentives were in place or they just felt it was perhaps a safer environment as part of the mothership. And I think we can all appreciate in today's environment, um, you know, the, the anxiety around keeping one's position. So our focus on retaining talent really was around ensuring incentives and bonus were in place that made sense for more of an innovative startup company as opposed to the metrics that we used uh, for the core, which really didn't make sense for the startups. Um, lastly, I would say, um, you know, leveraging the competitive advantage you have in your core business couldn't be more important, you know, when you're on this journey, and it does give you the opportunity to quickly boost, as Akash had mentioned. You know, we recognize the platform we built could also be used for the number of Americans who are losing their jobs amidst this pandemic, and while we've largely been focusing on um, underinsured. Uninsured is a big piece of that, but then how do you proactively figure out who is losing employment? And we, we pivoted that entire platform. We were, we were able to copy and paste all of that work and launch an entire new offering called Parachute RX, which is specifically for our funded patients who've lost coverage. And so we've been able to, without those patients having to do anything, pick up and transition them to yet another program with access to cash prescriptions that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And we would not have been able to do that without the agile manner in which we built this digital platform and connected it to the pharmacy. Having not done that, there's no way we could have put that together. And we were able to put that together in three and a half weeks. Wow, that's really fast. How have you thought about and gone about feeding what you learn from building that business back into your core business? 
Sure, thank you, Sean. Um, timely question. Um, we actually um, are going through a similar journey uh, to reinvent all of the digital assets, um, both web um, and mobile, for the Express Scripts Pharmacy. Um, and we were able to do that because we demonstrate, demonstrated success with InsideRx, so we've, we've gained a little bit of credibility with my um, fellow um, senior leaders. So obtaining the funding to do that was a bit easier. Having said that, um, the bar is now a little higher for return. So I would just caution that, uh, you know, if, if, if you have past success, then the expectation does grow over time. But it, I suppose better to be in that position uh, than the opposite. Now, I was going to say, you know, a quick tidbit. I think the a lot of the capabilities, you know, business building is one capability, but really comprises of many individual capabilities. And many of those, you know, I've seen clients really take from that uh, ecosystem into their core business. And a really easy example is agile marketing. You know, a lot of organizations still have very waterfall-like, you know, marketing practices um, where they, you know, do, ref you know, reflect back and do retrospectives, you know, very infrequently and taking that particular capability from business building and applying it to the broader marketing organization. Yeah, I was just going to add that, you know, a lot of the focus in the early days of the business build is on how do we make this business successful, which is exactly where it needs to be. At some point, if the business is at scale enough and successful enough, the question of what do we do to strengthen the core becomes very relevant. And then you start asking the reverse questions of what assets do I have in this new business that will strengthen the core? Are there people that we've hired into a new business that have done a couple of years now? You know, we could use them in a bigger role in the core. So the, the branch part of the journey that Akash talked about very much focuses on those questions, which ultimately you're running a single company. And the question is how do you maximize value for that integrated company? So this is our last question. How do you ensure the new business operates independently, but also stays in sync with the parent company on things like funding and strategy? Sure. I, I think for us, Sean, the key was ensuring that some level of leadership had a foot in both, um, that, that the entire staff of, of you know, the, the digital innovative company wasn't completely on an island. And in, in the InsideRx uh, example, I actually both led that and a number of companies inside the core. So it allowed me to make sure that I collaborated with both and they didn't become too disconnected. Akash, anything you'd like to add? I think the, uh, what I've seen work particularly well is where the, the head of the new uh, business essentially has, you know, quick 30-minute updates to, uh, you know, an exec member or members of the executive team. Um, every week, um, and that ensures that not only are the updates kind of aligning with strategy, but also tapping on the brain power and the expertise and the leadership of, you know, some of the executive members from the core business who have, you know, played in the industry for many, many years. And so I think it's, it's a good kind of two-way dialogue um, that's important. Um, and I think the other thing on top of that is how do you actually make sure that you set up certain capabilities such as compliance or legal which don't make sense to create a carved out per portion for the new business, to have a dedicated point person, you know, who knows what priority this is and what questions should come their way and to keep an eye out on the new business so that you can stay in sync with some of the you know, larger corporate guidelines as, as needed. 
Ari, Akash, Wendy, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. A transcript of today's conversation will soon be made available on the Inside the Strategy Room page on McKinsey.com, where you may also find links to our previous episodes. And if you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future episode, please email us at inside the strategy room at mckinsey.com if you'd like to receive email alerts as we publish new insights you can sign up on the strategy and corporate finance practice page on mckinsey.com or follow us on twitter at mck strategy connect with us on linkedin by entering mckinsey strategy and corporate finance in the search bar to visit our practice page thanks again for listening we look forward to having you join us again soon inside the strategy room